Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. I think that it was bad for Bitcoin when Ripple won because Bitcoin is a payment focused kind of a thing. It's like the opposite of Ripple. Ripple is like, hey, we're going to work with big banks and institutions and we're going to be secure and private, but we're going to also be accessible to large institutions. Bitcoin is kind of more, hey, we're going to be this mysterious thing. We're going to kind of have our own community. We get to make changes on stuff and we'll be somewhat available to the people that know how to use us. And I think the accessibility to the Ripple and the fact that they want to work with large institutions and have proven that they can do so and also proven that they can hold themselves in court is going to make them more attractive for places like Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, for cross-border payments that are instantaneous versus having to wait and pay intermediaries. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's show of Money Moves. As always, your host, Matty A, my co-host, Mr. Breedwell. What a do, up, brother? We cover all things stocks, real estate investing, personal finance to help you on your wealth building journey. Of course, if you are new to the show, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. If you enjoy the show, all we ask that you take 60 seconds, leave a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you are listening to us on. And don't forget to take advantage of the two freebies that we offer to our amazing Millionaire Mindcast family, your free financial portfolio review. Mm -hmm. You can text the word X-Ray to 844-447-1555 to connect with Ryan and his amazing team to go through your entire existing portfolio and they will spin up any kind of thoughts, details, and or suggestions on a portfolio that you might be able to do a little bit better in or give you great feedback on the fact that it's performing well. Also, you can get on my deals list. If you're an accredited investor, you're looking for investment opportunities. You can text the word deals to 844-447-1555. And of course, head over to millionairemindcast.com to check out all the links, resources for the show notes and all the great products and tools we have available for you guys. With that being said, kind of been a busy week. It's been a, but it's been a good one. It's been a really good one. Um, the market has been responding in kind. Um, although I'm going to catch a fat L on the rate hike, 
Um, and I like to shoot myself in the knees whenever I'm wrong so you can feel it. But um, I'm going to be wrong on the rate hike prediction for this next one because they're for sure going to... I mean, I would be blown away. I'd make sure I go buy a lotto ticket um, if, if they, you know, pause. But it's looking like they don't really need to raise rates much more because it doesn't look like it's having an effect on the market in the way where the last time they would raise rates, the market would go down for a couple of days and kind of sputter back up and in anticipation for a pause at the next meeting. So it's kind of this all up, all up, all up. I, the market obviously does not care because it's fully priced in. There's going to be a uh, hike in next week's meeting. Now, with all of that being said, the focus has shifted. Uh, shifted, excuse me, to earnings. And we had our first batch of what I would say is like relevant earnings this morning. Bank of America, one of the largest financial institutions in the United States, the top 10. Um, they reported uh, increasing revenues as high as 19%. They have really good guidance moving forward. Um, Morgan Stanley, who, no, Goldman Sachs came out and re uh, revised their uh, recession uh, expectations from 25% down to 20 uh, median expectation is now below 40%. It was at 44% about a week ago. So those recession expectations continue to go down. And I think that I am in the ballpark with uh, Yardini Research and Ed Yardini. He came out and made a bold statement, but something that I can now agree with and say I'm really on board with, um, given something that you know crazy happens. But a 4800 to $5,400 400, um, point target run on the S&P uh, through the end of next year, which 4,800 wouldn't be so spectacular, but the 5,400 number would be pretty crazy. Um, this is also, I believe, the best year on record for the NASDAQ ever. I need to double check that, so don't hold me to it, but I think it also is the best uh, six-month or seven-month return on the NASDAQ ever. So naysayers, people that aren't in the market, uh, people that are listening to advisors or their advisors say that they need to stay on the sideline, they need to stay defensive. You are leaving money on the table. Uh, risk is being rewarded right now. And there's not more better time than to get in when the attitude has shifted from a risk off to a risk on. And institutions are adding on risk, which is how you kind of know the money is going in these areas. Because the market wouldn't move as much as it has with just retail investors it needs institutional money to do what it's doing yeah it looks like the overall strength of the consumer is being reflected in retail sales obviously the latest report for june retail sales increased 0.2 percent yep. uh, advanced estimates of the u.s retail and food services sales for june 2023 adjusted for seasonal variation and holiday uh they were $689.5 billion, which was up 0.2% from the previous month. And kind of to piggyback off that, which this data isn't reflected in that number, but as of this last week, the uh, strength of the consumer was also shown on Prime Day. Uh, prime sales increased 64% <laughs> from last year to this year up to $12.7 billion over the course of a few days. Over 375 million items were sold. That was an increase from 300 million last year. It just, I think the data continues to support. And obviously, it looks like institutional, you know, money, investors, analysts, quants are all seeing 
a lot of this data kind of being baked into the trending direction of where they're allocating funds and the moves that they're making. And would that be a fair assumption? Yeah, I would say so. I think that people are starting to put their money where their mouth is as far as um, there were people talking about, hey, I need some more time. This is looking good, but I need more time. I think you're starting to see and still are going to see money markets will have high amounts of money in them because they're paying high yields. So people are going to use those as savings uh, alternatives versus banks. I think you're going to start seeing some money come out of those. I haven't seen data there yet. And I think what um, will happen at the end of this month is the inflow data for equity-based investments, stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, what have you, versus uh, fixed income. You're going to see a huge, in cash, huge outflow, I think, from those two areas in non-risk areas into equity-focused or equity-heavier investment strategies, either be it mutual funds or ETFs. We, for um, a lot of our clients, do like a blend portfolio. You and I are kind of more savvy, so we have a full stock portfolio. But for a lot of people, sometimes we blend a little bit of ETFs in there, which is great. And those are doing really good because the broad market as a whole is participating in the rally. We're starting to see it in financials. We're starting to see it in industrials. Healthcare had a really good uh, week, finally. It's been kind of lagging. Um, we had a low open on tech, but then tech closed really high today. Um, and that was kind of help, thanks to Microsoft. Um, so really starting to see positive signs that it's an awesome time to pat yourself on the back if you've been staying invested over the past 12 to 18 months, continuously putting money in there because you're going to start reaping those rewards over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like the market is definitely primed to continue trending in that upward direction. Unemployment, (laughs) weekly initial unemployment claims um, decreased to 237,000 in the week ending July 8th. That Seasonally adjusted initial claims was 237, which was a decrease of 12,000 from the previous week's revised levels. So it seems like the labor market is still holding very strong. Consumers are still spending money, if not more, right now. I am curious, I saw a, a statistic that talked about wage growth, even though it was higher than inflation, it still seems like the average American feels like they're behind every month. Is there any concern about the momentum of spending, the momentum of some of these positive metrics that are giving confidence to the market slowing down or burning out? Um, I think that's a valid point. But I also would point out that we're kind of a consumer-based nation. So a lot of people want more than they currently have. It's kind of baked into their personality or their, you know, who they are as an American, for better or for worse. Um, so I think that I hear that response from kind of all sides of the uh, the circle. You know, people that are higher net worth, uh, upper middle class, middle class, and especially for lower middle class and lower class individuals, they obviously want more than what they're being uh, provided. I just don't think that. Um, Cost of eggs, for example, you know, it's halved. Um, the things that are staying expensive are kind of used cars are still, excuse me, pretty expensive. But I think there's, um, that's because by the time supplies, ooh, excuse me, two burps. That's uh, because the time, by the time supply finally caught up, I think demand also hit a little spike because of summertime. People may be getting rid of vehicles or 
what have you. And you also have a lot of manufacturers offering 0% rates right now, which means that they're going to lend that money out directly from themselves and essentially just say, we'll take the profit on the car versus the profit on the loan right now. We're not worried about that. Um, so I think there's some seasonality to it. I'm not hearing that um, from any of, and I'm not seeing that uh, from any consumers. I'm not saying that they don't ask people that and that's a data-driven report and the people that they're asking. I just think the people that they're asking are are misrepresentative of the larger majority of people who are spending, who are traveling. Um, our airports kind of feel a little third-worldish right now because everybody's, you know, late. Um, yeah. But it's because there's such an influx back to what was normal. And when you haven't gone through that for three years, you know, you're not going to have staff that's prepared for that either. A lot of brand new staff have never done this and you've kind of been able to be lackadaisical. So I think all of this kind of stuff is working in to say, I'm not super concerned with the tightness right now. Uh, if we saw, we would see it in other areas. We would see people stop buying real estate, which they're not. You'd see people stop buying cars, which they're not going out to dinner, restaurants, spending money on travel, so on and so forth. And they're not. I just think that again, subset of data may be misrepresentative as the, uh, for the consumer as a whole. So <clears throat> recently per NBC, you know, with rising interest rates, losses on commercial real estate and those continuing to kind of mount and build up as we get a little bit deeper into the cycle, you know, heightened regu- regulatory scrutiny. You know, a lot of people are thinking there's going to be more pressure on regional and mid-sized banks that look like per CNBC, big banks are well outperforming as we're seeing with the earnings coming out, um, outperforming, you know, regional banks. Is there any concern about the banking industry just kind of circling back to what we saw earlier this year? with some of the stuff went on? Or is this just going to kind of lead to more of a wave of mergers and kind of more consolidation, but there really be no infrastructure foundational cracks in the banking industry that many people still might be concerned about? Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I obviously know no, nobody can have a 100% report card for, for any country developed, undeveloped, so on and so forth. Uh, we're going to have banks that are less healthy than other banks at all times, at all points. Um, it's just, are they healthy enough to meet the stress tests that if things got bad, could they still keep the promises to their lenders, to the people they borrowed money from and out to? Um, and I think there are a couple of banks that will have to kind of, they're going to say, hey, just like it happens to insurance companies sometimes. Hey, your book's too big. You're not big enough. You have to sell yourself. You know, it's, it, that's happening right now to three insurance companies. Um, so it's a, it's not a scary thing if that does happen. But the reason that those kind of things would happen to your point is scrutiny is going to get tighter and tighter and tighter, especially the farther we go down the road. And they're going to want banks that are, you know, up to date on their technology, ready to implement things uh, that the Fed wants to implement. And a part of the larger banking ecosystem as a whole. So I think there will be some forced mergers. They may say, uh, like, you know, they want to make sure there's no duopolies or monopolies or things like right. that and use that as an excuse. But I think the balance sheets ultimately what's going to put them under, uh, underneath because interest rates are still pretty high. If interest rates start to get cut really aggressively, that may change the story because a lot of the banks, uh, that hold these 
bonds, let's start to see an increase in uh, their portfolio value while still getting that same coupon uh, power value paid on a lower coupon rate, but the same money would come out and their face values would rise. So that that could be a positive because I think a lot of the smaller banks are going to look, if you look in their balance sheets, they have a lot of unrealized losses on longer term securities that are fixed income that would benefit from an interest rate cut. So it just depends if they can make it to the time interest rates get cut. Yeah, I uh, saw a pretty staggering statistic on calculated risk um, earlier this week that currently 23.3%, almost a quarter of all mortgage loans are under 3%. Yeah. 61.3% of those are under 4%. So when you think about the amount of, well, one, just on the topic of banking, right? How many of those banks are holding paper there? Yeah. Versus, you know, um, some of the newer loans that have been originated and really how there's very little margin for them in those loans. Oftentimes, you know, as we've seen reported, losing money on <laughs> making loans. Mm-hmm. If you're one of those smaller, you know, or local or regional banks, um, you know, it also ties into the real estate market, right? Of you're not, I, I just think that statistic right there could be spotlighted and highlighted and be a very strong argument for the fact that we're not going to see any insane flood of inventory hit the market anytime soon based on the fact that I think it was over 90% of all mortgages currently in the US are under, I think, sub 6%. So that's really not going to be something that... And now maybe it's going to tie into, you know, if people... Because really right now, the only thing that is happening in the refi side is whether it's a death or divorce and they have to do a refi, right? Um, Or if, you know, it's somebody that's looking to buy that that next home and they can afford it, but we're still not seeing an insane amount of demand with very little inventory. Even with inventory this last week jumping up 1.2%, it's still down 7.5% year over year. And 51.9% from 2019, kind of at its peak from a normal market. So we're still drastically undersupplied. Mortgage rates are still really high. You look at, you know, 90% of mortgage holders right now being in a sub 6%. Those are going to be things that ultimately keep this, in my opinion, single family market running slow, but stable. And yeah, there's still going to be transactions happening. I don't think we're going to see drastic you know, drops in values. But it is something that I'm, I was just very interested to kind of see some of that data going, man, like that is an extremely low cost of capital that I don't know too many people unless they are forced to in a distressed situation, whether it's a financial hardship, a medical hardship, or there's some circumstance or scenario that forces them to sell their house. They're not going to want to get out of a two and a quarter to get up to you know, uh, a 7% interest rate or a 6% interest rate, uh, depending on when they do it and kind of what the climate of the market looks like. And that's they have to, or they can, which that's going to be a small fraction of people. And I think that's ultimately why we're seeing, as of this last week, builder confidence, you know, has, again, continued to trend upwards because they know that they are the holders. They are the only way. Yeah. And so builder confidence in the market for newly built single family homes in July posted a one point gain to 56. That was according to the National Association of Home Builders. 
And again, there's really nothing major in terms of the real estate market showing any major dis- uh, distress right now. Um, I think it was... I'll have to find it. But there was, in terms of um, forbearance plans, uh, even forbearances had uh, dropped again. So again, no actual distress showing trends in an upward direction. If anything, it's actually condensing and compressing right now. So I think the single-family real estate market is going to continue to hold steady and strong. It's going to ebb and flow a little bit with rates. Inventory is going to remain pretty tight. Um, And I think it's going to be like this for quite some time unless we see any major drastic shifts with outside forces outside of the real estate economy. And that's just, again, a prediction. But I think we're going to hold pretty steadfast on this track, plus or minus a little bit, whether that's values, inventory rates, for probably the next 12 to 24 months. Yeah, I was going to say, I still see cuts toward the end of this year. So when they start cutting interest rates, obviously interest rates as a whole will go down. So I think they're still going down to the end of this year, quarter one, 2024. Um, but yeah, I see it going through at least 2024, probably 12 to 16 months out. Um, 24 months, we should have our act together by that time and get interest rates back to more of a, a normal purchasing level that a lot of people are familiar with. I saw a recent statistic per the Fed that did a breakdown of corporate equities and mutual funds by generation. And baby boomers held $20.1 trillion of corporate equities and mutual funds. Generation X held $9.4 trillion. And millennials held a staggering $0.8 trillion. Why, mm. why such a staggering difference there from millennials to Gen X to baby boomers? Is it just the mindset of the time of where you invested your money and what made sense then? Is it the risk tolerance and profile and the age of these individuals and where they're at right now in their lives? Is it money that they have accessible to them? Like I was just curious from your perspective why millennials hold such little corporate equities and mutual funds and why older generations are obviously holding a lot more. That was in mutual funds, right? Specifically? I mean, it just said that it was a breakdown of corporate equities and mutual funds. So probably because the later generations invest in more individual stocks and ETFs, which wouldn't be tracked into that metric. Mm. So um, the stocks then make up the said mutual funds. So um, probably that. uh, But that large of a spread can't be fully explained by that because that's too much. Uh, It's like, you know, 90%, right? So, in my opinion, what we would attest to is people being more focused on, you know, instant gratification and more people are investing in real estate. I think more invest in real estate now than did in the baby boomer generation because if they did, there'd be a lot more people like you or I that were, or our parents that would have inherited um, more houses. A lot of people inherit homes, but it's like they inherit the primary residence, not a portfolio of real estate. That's more of a newer concept that was less popular, but people got very wealthy off of it because they got houses at the early part of the phase versus now, which is a more mature part of the the housing growth cycle, still a good one to get in on. It's just expensive, you know? And and as everything happens, cost of goods and services go up. 
but you would have been really smart to buy houses in the 90s and hold them till now versus saying, oh, hey, I want that same house and buying it today. Yeah, right. Now, what are your thoughts on, we've heard this kind of narrative around the silver tsunami, baby boomers own a massive yeah. 75 trillion in wealth spread out across stocks, homes, and businesses. And I think that's, you know, a really important and interesting statistic from the perspective of boomers are going to continue to, you know, either pass or retire. Um, Every day now going forward, it's only going to get more and more. And that that 75 trillion in wealth is going to continue to get dispersed or passed on or, you know, reallocated. Where do you see or what is your thoughts around the silver tsunami and, and the opportunity that could be there um, for, you know, individuals that are paying attention to this trend? I'm very excited for it. Not that, you know, I'm excited. I'm very excited for these old peeps to die. But the when you do that big of a wealth transfer, it'll also change the way how people spend money. Yeah. So there'll be a huge change in kind of the demographic of how financial market potentially work. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I'm worried about is there's a lot of uh, 55 plus communities and people are waiting longer to have children. And so there's going to be a little bit more of a spread between children and parents' ages. And those 55 plus communities are going to probably have to rebrand themselves to something different because mm-hmm. 50 plus isn't probably going to work for that long. So Adele Webbs, uh, things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's a great thing. That's a huge, uh, wealth transfer. It would be due to the Gen Xers or millennials that it goes to. And then we'll have to see where they put their money to work. I would expect that the younger the generation, the more uh, risk tolerant or risk averse, they'll be um, less looking to avoid loss and get gains. And as you work your way up, you might see the Gen Xers, excuse me, sorry, boys, uh, Gen Xers buy more real estate. So it's just kind of dependent on the timing of everything, but it's going to start happening in big swaths over the next 10 to 30. Yeah. I know there was a big win for crypto heads this last week. Ripple won its SEC case that XRP isn't considered a security. Can you break down, like, why is that important? And, and you know, you, you hear a lot of people, this is big for crypto. This is big for crypto. Why is this big for crypto? And is it foreshadowing anything in the future in the crypto space? So the main reason that that's big is because Ripple focuses on money transfer and, and payment transfer. Um, and they were preferred and started to be looked at by big banks for cross-border payments. And then they got with this lawsuit. They were taken off Coinbase, blah, 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 blah. So they've been maintaining their size with very little volume. And now they have won their court case. They were, they proved they were not a security and they, now are relisted back on Coinbase. Their stock or stock price, their coin prices continue to go up. I've been a holder of Ripple for many years, six plus years now. Um, so I like Ripple quite a bit. Uh, that's the one that I kind of think got it right. Hey, we're not going to try to redo the system. We're just going to try to improve it. And that's very more palatable to the larger institutions uh, versus, hey, we're going to try to replace you. Do you think that there will be more rulings like this going forward and 
does this particular ruling impact some of the bigger coins and other things in the crypto space that so many people are essentially saying this ruling is going to have an impact or ripple effect in, no pun intended? Yeah, I think that it was bad for Bitcoin when Ripple won because Bitcoin is a payment um, focused kind of a thing. It's like the opposite of Ripple. Ripple is like, hey, we're going to work with big banks and institutions and we're going to be secure and private, but we're going to also be accessible to large institutions. Bitcoin is kind of more, hey, we're going to be this mysterious thing. We're going to kind of have our own community. We get to make changes on stuff and we'll be somewhat available to the people that know how to use us. And I think the accessibility to the Ripple and the fact that they want to work with large institutions and have proven that they can do so and also proven that they can hold themselves in court is going to make them more attractive for places like Bank of America, uh, JP Morgan Chase, for cross-border payments that are instantaneous versus having to wait and pay intermediaries and um, settlements and stuff like that. Now, as we kind of wrap up today, there have been some uh, kind of updates from last week's comments around the Biden administration getting shot down by the Supreme Court this last mm-hmm. week. And this was obviously around their um, efforts to wipe clean the student loan debt for mm-hmm. many borrowers. Now, as of this last Friday, they announced that the Biden administration would automatically forgive $39 billion in student debt for over 800,000 borrowers, which is a result of the fixes to the student loan system's income-driven repayment plans. What is that short for or long for? I have no idea. Oh, okay. But it says, under those repayment plans, borrowers get any remaining debt canceled by the government after they have made payments for 20 years or 25 years, depending on when they borrowed, and their loan and plan type. The announcement comes weeks after the Supreme Court struck down the sweeping student loan forgiveness plan, which would have delivered relief to about 37 million people. So that I can kind of get behind a little bit more. That one's a little more common sense based. Like you've made 20 or 25 years of payment. All right. Yeah, I can get behind that too. I Okay, that, that a big is profitable. Yep. If you're not profitable in 20 or 25 years on a loan, you need to, <laughs> yeah, right. you need, on a 10-year on a loan, you need to figure it out. Yeah. Um, so that one... I could say I'm happy if that was implemented. They need to make sure they do like a huge look back period. There needs to be a set date where the maximum look back can be. Probably needs to be at least 2015 or 2010, maybe. Just because if not, then they're just going to cancel a shitload of people's debt still. So it'd be just a roundabout way to do the same thing. So look back period needs to be put in that's not so far back. Um, That way it's fair to people who have paid off all of their debt. And they could probably just target the most affected group, which is probably going to be people that went to. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. 
This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Uh, additional breaking news from Capitol Hill. Former President Donald Trump said he expects to soon be indicted again in the Department of Justice's investigation into the January 6th uh, riot at the U.S. Capitol. Um, I, does this just feel like they're continuing to weaponize the government against political opposition, which to me is just the equivalent of a dictatorship? Or is there more to this than... What meets the eye? He put out a, a story as of yesterday, uh, late last night. Um, that came out today, though. And yes, this is the third attempt on uh, indicting him for... I did not see that. January 6th. I did not see that one. I think that it's just going to be the same as the other ones. It's just going to fall, fall by the wayside like the, all the other ones have. Yeah. Well, but it, to me, it just seems crazy that there's more and more evidence coming out around FBI and DOJ. And I mean, anyone and everyone that is not pro-establishment is really, they're getting targeted pretty heavy right now. And if anything, it feels like a lot of distraction and smoke screens uh, away from a lot of the other news that is coming out around the Biden family and their shell corporations and mm-hmm. the disappearing cocaine bag and the most secure, highly recorded video camera security uh, building in the United States. There's just so many things, right? That it's very distract and deflect and, you know, kind of get through some of these other things. But um, I have been hearing some additional rumors that I think the more and more people seem to want to attack. Donald Trump, whether you like him or don't like him. Um, again, I'm not the biggest fan of him, but because of what the left is doing and how they're going about it, it is making me more disgusted and more supportive of whoever is on the opposite side of that. And and really, I think nowadays politics is not uh, right and left. It's more establishment or non-establishment, it mm-hmm. feels like. And there's you know people that fall in both camps um, but it sounds like there may be some potential whispers of Trump and DeSantis jumping on a ticket together with DeSantis kind of falling behind in the polls. His donors are maybe starting to see some writing on the wall that it may be more advantageous to ride the coattails of Trump and, you know, look four years down the road. What are you hearing? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I heard. I just didn't hear... I just heard that he is spending money and it might just be money better spent waiting four more years, being a part of 
Trump's campaign because he's getting beat by double digits in all the polls. And I think he's the best person that could go up against him. But I don't, I don't know, you know, polls have been wrong before, but are they that wrong? Right. Well, it'll be very interesting to see. I would say I'm here for it. If, if uh, that, that would be the ideal ticket. Honestly, for me, would to see both of those dudes I who I think are yeah, that should pretty political juggernauts at the moment go up against. It would just uh, like an unbeatable duo. That would be very interesting to see both of those guys who are well spoken on a mic and very candid on a mic go in on <laughs> Joe Biden. Um, that being said, uh, I know last week I talked about the uh, financial tips for. Uh, your kids, you know, teaching your kids about money, 11 important financial tips to help build your kids' financial acumen and their wealth. And I completely forgot about it. Uh, so I made last week's Friday Food for Thought episode uh, around creating a wealthy bloodline, a family tree, the blueprint for kind of creating a generational, you know, wealth legacy and the impact that comes along with it. Whether you think your kids want to take it over, you want to build generational wealth or not. So be sure to check that out. And kind of in closing thoughts, um, I saw a pretty wild statistic that's kind of hard to wrap your brain around. New research puts the age of the universe at 26.7 billion years old, which is double what they previously thought it was at 13.7 billion years old. And I think, you know, to me, what it reminds me of, and I'm curious on your thoughts, it just reminds me of how irrelevant we are how short of a time we have here and to just go and full send it. Like, to not live in fear, to be intentional and purposeful and calculated and, you know, stay in alignment with who you are, not be reckless. But at the same time, when I, when I really think about some of that kind of stuff and, and the numbers that you hear in perspective of this expansive universe and shit. I mean, that was just a couple years ago, they said new technology said we're 13.7 billion years old. Now new technology is showing. Like who knows how vast this universe is that we live in. And I think it's hard for our little peanut minds to you know wrap our head around. To me, it's one of those things that it just is a, another reminder to go out and live and take every single day to the complete capacity you have and just continue to play full out, right? Full send it. And I just thought that was a really interesting statistic that kind of just reframed how small we are, how irrelevant we are, you know, unimportant we are. And yet we make so many decisions or not every single day based on how important we think we are or what other people think we should or shouldn't do or, right, the legacy that we want to have. And yet... When you think about it in the grand scheme of things, in that timeline, it's all pretty irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. It all seems to it just... I was going to say the thing that just makes me feel small. Just if it's if we are in that vast of a universe, I wonder how... I mean, I can't even wrap my brain around how big it is. We can't even think about how big the Milky Way is, let alone the whole universe. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. But it is uh, eye-opening to grasp kind of what's in front of us and live in the moment. That's right. Well, that's all we got for you guys on today's show. Again, don't forget to subscribe if you enjoy the show. Share it with somebody you think could get some value from it that wants that daily tap-in of news, politics, real estate investing, personal finance, and stocks. 
as well as leave a review if you enjoy the show, five stars, whatever podcasting platform you enjoy listening to this on. Don't forget to text X-Ray for your financial portfolio review, 844-447-1555. Deals, all the accredited investors that want to know what kinds of investment opportunities are out there and available exclusively for our Millionaire Mindcast family. I've got a nice one coming up for you guys. So you can text the word DEALS to 844-447-1555. All links, resources, products, and opportunities for you guys are at millionairemindcast.com. With that being said, until next week, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Money Moves. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. And if you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're going to get entered into win a $100 gift card. Also, don't forget to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio. And to do so, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What we have found by offering this out is most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective, or really, in most cases, overcharged and whether or not their current investment and financial plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And this is something that Ryan and his amazing team do for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that. Again, that's x-ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you're an accredited investor and you're not on my deals list, be sure to text the word DEALS to 844-447-1555 to be notified of the private investment offerings my team and I put out. And last, don't forget to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family at millionairemindcast.com. Whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, calculators, the Rich Life Planner for those looking to take their goal setting and productivity to the next level. We've got all kinds of great and valuable tools available at millionairemindcast.com. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.